we were able to capture some fingerprints. But again, same as the DNA, we haven't been able to, to match that to anybody. He's probably one of the biggest considered open-hearted people that I knew. But, you know, honestly, he had uh, an addiction too, right? Get the writing, we can talk. There's a possibility here that there were childhood traumas. We're trying to turn every stone to, to find evidence. This is Genevieve Germain, host of True Crime Real Time. Join me on a bi-weekly dive into the lives of the missing and murdered. Available wherever you listen to your podcasts. You'll never know who else you'll meet along the way. gonna be okay curtis hang in there bud he's so sad he's stressed out <laughs> you might hear some whales today little whines that's curtis tiny little mewing he's in, he's under stress he's very Mac upset is not here lenny is not here he is not happy about it lenny's at the dog tour doc dog tour <laughs> <laughs> lenny's having butt problems so he's not here today Everybody what happens to the best of us. Everybody have a moment of silence for Lenny's butt. It's really not all right. Hopefully it'll pull through. Oh, wait. This is perhaps it's you. Hello. Oh, yeah. This is an unofficial Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcast. Greetings and salutations. I was listening your first time listening to us where you're like, why are they what? talking about a dog's butt? Wait, Maybe you didn't even a- know who Lenny was. <laughs> Did we say he's a dog? I don't think. Well, he's a dog <laughs> Oh, yeah. That's right. Oh, Curtis is so upset. I'm sorry, buddy. Lenny is not getting a special super long walk without you. He's at the animal hospital. I don't think you wanted to go. And I think it would have been very confusing if you went for no reason. (laughs) It's like, oh, no, just this dog. This dog's just here because he has anxiety. (laughs) Hi, everyone. I hope you're doing better than Curtis, and I hope you're doing better than Lenny's butt. (laughs) We're here today to talk about some unsolved mysteries. Yeah. Uh, can we waste some time first, though? Um, sure. How do you want to do that? Let's talk about, we had a field trip. Oh, yeah. On Thursday, we went to the Minnesota Zoo for the Jack-O-Lantern Spectacular. It was our first outing of of spooky, busy season. Yes. Highly recommend, if you are in the area, checking out the Jack-O-Lantern Spectacular. You may have heard us talk about it last year. It's like a Jack-O-Lantern trail. There were supposedly 5,000 Jack-O-Lanterns this year. We didn't count, but it did seem like a lot of Jack-O-Lanterns. It seemed like an awful lot of Jack-O-Lanterns, so I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. I should have gone through a second time, counted each one. The theme this year is around the world. So you get to know what, like, three or four things about a country (laughs) that just like white americans know it's like yep. spain oh yeah they have uh dancing there and picasso and a bull running through the street yeah done spain that's all you need to know italy uh they have espresso and a dog eating spaghetti and maybe like i don't even remember a gondola um it was a very enjoyable time yeah we got some hot cider walked through the pumpkin oh, trail very important hot cider situation has improved from last year i didn't go last year but i heard <laughs> that the hot cider was quite a disappointment it was just a packet kind and if you're like outside on the cold fall day you don't want that no, that's we- the stuff you make in like a work kitchen because you can't have any more coffee right <laughs> you don't you don't want to pay like actual money and then be handed a cup and it's just that like yeah powdered no this was actual apple, apple cider you could pay to get a shot added to it highly recommend 
to yeah, make it was your, really good. To make your walk through 5,000 jack-o'-lanterns stacked in various artful ways. Uh-huh. If you get there a little bit early, you can see part of the zoo. Not most of the zoo. No, most you can, of the like, zoo's closed. Yeah, you can see, like, the aquariums This and stuff. is, like, clearly a money-making thing for them to, like, bring in people who during other hours or like another season when right. zoo, zoo attendance is low because it's getting cold they're like okay fine you don't give a shit about animals anymore what about pumpkins <laughs> and then people are like yes sign me up last year how many the first year and i think it was so it was so popular that they they brought it back they brought it back for longer it's gonna go through the first weekend in november i think yes and it's, i think it's open more days now so it's 18 dollars, which i think also might be more money than last year I would say it's worth it. I, I, I thought it was worth it. I had a it. delightful time. I even bought a souvenir magnet, so... I'm going again, so I, I such really a, It's such it. a little enchanting... I really love a wholesome fall activity. Yes, it's the best. Yes, is this properly for children? I guess. There was but. a lot of adults there. A lot of people on dates. Yeah. So. Which would be such a cool, like, yeah. first couple dates thing. If, if I... I can't even imagine me dating someone, but... <laughs> Let's pretend that would happen. And then my date was like, hey, you want to go see a bunch of jack-lanterns? I'd be like, yes, let's go make out by some jack-lanterns. That sounds amazing. It'd be a little weird to make out in the middle of the crowded jack-o'-lantern trail, though. I don't necessarily recommend that. But You can you know go what? off on that little, you know, where there the, are before some dark, they have the yeah. gift shop, there's like a little, cl- I'm picking out an exact spot to make out, folks. <laughs> so when you're almost at the end, there's like a, there's a gift shop you walk through there's a little food stand there's like a little clearing in the woods you right there easily off to the slip side. in there and make out no one would mm-hmm. see you it's very dark exactly it's it's the tra- the trail that you go on to normally see animals there's no animals on exhibit and it's woods right so just i don't know, slip off into the woods and yeah that sounds awesome yeah plus there'll be all these jack-o'-lanterns there and halloween music it's really magical they're like in the trees they're you can't even Last year we went when we had no concept of what it was going to be like. We thought, oh, maybe this is going to be very boring. Like, who knows? And it blew our minds. It is mind-blowing. Because How many there's there are. jack-o'-lanterns, like, as far as you can see in every every twist and turn. The very tops of the tallest trees. Yeah. yeah. Super cool. And then along the whole way are the artistic ones. Yeah. Some of them are hilariously bad. But th- but then there are these very fancy ones that are carved in the theme. Yeah, masterpieces, really. I was trying to figure out if they were... We There's a lot of logistics to this, that if someone at the zoo wants to talk to us... Come on to the podcast and do an interview. How these all get carved in such a short period of time. Like, where are these coming from? Who, Who are- is doing all this carving? I know, I know artists do, like, the fancy ones. But then all of the other jack-o'-lanterns, someone has to carve those. It's very clear that a few of them are probably carved by children. So I'm sure they, like, I don't know, maybe Had local schools or programs. Or maybe they do it at the zoo. I'm not sure. But someone has to carve... But then they're up Thousands for so long. Of How do they not rot? Is How it just because it's cold? But it's been raining in Minnesota for like five days straight. Does that affect the the pumpkins? What about squirrels? Do the squirrels eat them? What do the animals think of them? So do they close questions. that part of the trail during the day? Can you go down that area? I have no idea. And see the animals? I don't. It sort of seems like it's just closed off for the pumpkin thing. There's no way they could take all those pumpkins down every day. No. So it has to stay not. up. We have a lot of questions about the pumpkin thing, but it is very cool. And if you've I ever wanted to it. see a Aztec pyramid covered in pumpkins, this Now's is your, your chance. chance. Did you have a favorite 
of the artistic pumpkins. Okay, my favorite single pumpkin is towards the end. When they're done with the around the world theme, they do some spooky ones. And there's like a, a, a very elegant graveyard. But then there's a statue of a woman. Like it looks like, uh. <laughs> Rolling her eyes. In the graveyard. That was a quality pumpkin. Nah. But I really liked the Mexico section of Around the World. I thought that was really well done. I liked that one, too. I don't know that I had a favorite specific one, although I really liked the graveyard one. There was a, a sea turtle I really liked that I posted that on Instagram. Good, yes. You can check out our Instagram story highlights on our Instagram page, Perhaps It's You. I put a bunch of photos from the Jack Lantern Spectacular, including the turtle. That was really good. There was also a seal one where it was like seals underwater. And then what... I really appreciated from a lot of these artists is they put little pumpkins in the scenes. They like hid pumpkins in yeah. the scenes carved on a pumpkin. Oh, it's very a- meta. Apparently, somewhere in the Jack Lantern Spectacular, there is a Where's Waldo and a Carmen Sandiego. I did not see either. I didn't see either one. But I also wasn't looking for them because I didn't realize till the end that they were there. Uh, so if you go through it, I would love to know. And I'm going again, so maybe I'll keep an eye out. But I would love to know where Carmen Sandiego I is. I would like an exact count of the Jack Lanterns, please. Oh, well, 5,000. Right? No, I want you to check. Oh, you want me to count? <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. And then if it's 4,999, you have to demand your money back. There was a pumpkin with a fantastic mustache, but unfortunately, it was too high in a tree to get a good photo. Yeah, it kind of looked like the Lorax. Yes. It had a very interesting, despite being a simple carved pumpkin, it had it a very good expression. It was well designed. On its face, and the mustache was fantastic. And Curtis thought it was just great. Curtis is like, why aren't you paying attention to me and the fact that Mac's not here? A tragedy. (laughs) This is the worst day of Curtis's life. He'll come back, my friend. I mean, we're here. We're perfectly good, too. He doesn't give a shit about us. No, he doesn't. Okay, so that's that's the fall update. Yeah. Were there any other updates? Um, I don't think so. This episode of Unsolved Mysteries feels real short. It felt short. It wasn't. It wasn't terrible. Um, but it wasn't the best either. Let's do a little candy tasting. Oh, all right. So last week we tasted some pumpkin pie uh, M&Ms. This week I picked up pumpkin pie Kit Kats. Oh. So I'm a sucker for a novelty Kit Kat, which usually you have to get them from Japan and they're kind of hard to get a hold of. Yeah, I we got a spent, bunch at Chinatown in Chicago. I once spent too much money to get a wine Kit Kat because I just had to know. Was it any good? It's all right. But just the idea, man, oh man. But now, even in the boring US of A, you can get pumpkin pie Kit Kats. So yes. We're also drinking the Hibiscus LaCroix, which I finally got to try for the first time today here at Liz's house. Yeah, it's, I like it. It's good. I like it a lot. It's, it's a good definitely f- better than the last new flavor, looking at you, Key Lime. Uh, my arch nemesis. The most disgusting flavor of LaCroix. I like that for some reason the little Kit Kat character is wearing sunglasses. Like, he's real cool. <laughs> like, ooh. The little jack-o'-lantern wearing sunglasses. All right, we're going to try it at the same time. Oh, it's spicy. Like, yeah. pumpkin pie spice. Like... Very I like prominent. It. I like it. And so it doesn't have any chocolate. The coating instead of chocolate is this like pumpkin pie flavoring. These are delicious. Yeah, this is really good. I love this. The pumpkin pie spice is really prominent. And I think that's what I like the most. Because sometimes it's almost too subtle. No, this is really good. Now this is the rest of the podcast is just us chewing. Thanks for tuning in. Mm, those are so good. Okay, I thought I was going to bring the rest of those. Because I just bought, like, a like a Halloween trick-or-treat-sized bag. That's how they came. 
I thought I was going to give bring the rest of those to the acupuncture clinic to like, you know, give to people like trick or treating. But I think you need to keep those. They're pretty good, yeah. so that might not be happening. We're gonna watch some spooky movies tonight, and I think that those might be gone by the end of the night. Mm, yum 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 yum. Okay, Patreon money well spent. Um, I think I have the first mystery today. Yeah, so this is season four, episode fourteen. I just feel so short to me. Only three mysteries. We've had four mysteries in I think every episode of the season so far. So that must be why I got spoiled. Um, we start with the Minnesota mystery. Yeah. This takes place on Lake Superior, so shout out to that. <laughs> Hi, Duluth listeners. If you're if you're, if you're up there, yeah. Hope you're staying warm. Hello, hello, Duluth. Uh, this is a final appeal. Thirty-three-year-old mm-hmm. Debbie Race was found dead in Lake Superior, wearing a life vest. It was May twelfth of nineteen eighty-two. She's found dead. She's de- dead from hypothermia um, because it was so cold. In the water, she is the was married to a man named Larry Race, and so the final appeal is Larry Race, who has been convicted of her murder and is saying he's on unsolved mysteries to say I didn't do it, I shouldn't be in prison. Robert Stack very generously says that Larry Race was convicted of something like allowing his wife to die. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's convicted of murder. Pretty sure he was convicted of murder, but the segment is skewed. Slightly in in thinking he's innocent, I feel like. Mm. Mm-hmm. They show sort of evidence, like he'll say evidence that's like, this proves I'm innocent. And then you'll hear from someone else that's kind of disputing that. But I feel like the general tone of the segment is that he's been wrongfully convicted. The like twist on this, if, if there is a twist, is that her family thinks he's innocent. Which is, I think, why Unsolved Mysteries is maybe skewed that direction. There's a bias that's apparent here that I can't say I share, but I'm going to let Liz continue to tell the story. I'm just laughing at Curtis howling his little heart (laughs) out. Do you think that he's innocent, Curtis? Are you you crying for his his innocence? For him to be heard? (laughs) (laughs) My poor baby. Okay, so... Yeah, for whatever reason, her parents are saying that, oh, like, Larry is this really stand-up dude. He's part of the family, and we don't think he could have done it. Oh, my God, Curtis, <laughs> you're making this so hard. But I feel like if we put you in another room, you're just going to lose your mind. <laughs> Probably. So, her parents are like, oh, no, Larry couldn't have possibly done it, blah, blah, blah. And their point is that he's convicted on pretty circumstantial evidence, and they feel like the main reason that the jury found him guilty is because he had had a bunch of affairs. Sounds like a lot of affairs. We don't get a number. Yeah, but- I'm calling it a bunch because it's not just like the one at the time. It seems like he had several. And then this was their, I think, 14th wedding anniversary. Yes. And this was supposed to be them like starting anew. Despite the fact that he seems to admit that he was, like, currently in an affair at this time. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure he's really even called off his last affair. But, yeah. Yeah. It seems like Debbie had really put up with a lot. Yeah. And I feel bad for her for that as well. So, okay. It's their 14th wedding anniversary. They have dinner and they go out on their boat. And they're drifting along, they're listening Duluth, to music. Which is yeah. a place that Minnesotans often go for like a weekend vacation. Like a, yeah, they're on like a little trip. Yeah. 
to a, a mini a mini vacation. Rekindle their they're on a, a we yeah a weekend getaway to rekindle the romance. They took their boat or their boat was there. I don't know. So they're on the boat drifting along to the coastline, listening to music. And at some point, Daebe notices that the boat was taking in water and begins to panic. And apparently, this boat sucked and had had a... <laughs> had had this problem previously. And we're getting the story from Larry. Right. So he... This is his account of what happened. Right. And what he... What the... What they were... The jury was presented at his trial. Yes. And Unsolved Mysteries is interviewing him from the Stillwater prison, which Robert Stack says is in, in, in Minneapolis, because Minnesota has two cities, folks, Minneapolis and Duluth. <laughs> Stillwater prison? You'd think you'd be in Stillwater. <laughs> no, it's in Minneapolis. Well, which, hilarious. Well, minor detail. Uh, just the location of a place. Just like 45 minutes apart, but... <laughs> Um, their boat was called a Jenny Lee after their children, uh, which is an insult to their children because this boat sucked. <laughs> Look, it was the only boat they had. They didn't have six, like some people. Well, fair enough. But it had taken on water before, once when Larry was out with their kids and they had had to, I don't know, abandon it for the shore. <laughs> so it starts taking on water. Debbie begins to panic. So, but they worked together, according to Larry, to get the engine fixed and get the water stopped and this you get a little happened. reenactment of water was like i don't know he made it sound like it was taking on water but water was just like shooting out of the engine and they just had to like screw something down to make it stop yeah he made it sound like there was a hole in the boat or something but what he described and what they showed in the reenactment was he like lifted the cover off the the engine housing or whatever and it was just squirting water out yeah it didn't really seem like that big a deal yeah, it wasn't like going, the boat wasn't going down. Right. But they do need the engine to get back to shore. So the problem is that now they couldn't get the boat started. And supposedly Debbie, because she's in a panic, wanted to immediately get off the boat because they couldn't get it to start. Yeah. Which is a little bit weird that they wouldn't just like... Stay on the boat? Wait a little bit longer and try it again? <laughs> like... I, I, as you can probably tell from me stumbling through this, I don't know anything about boats. I've been on, you know, boats a handful of times in my life. My family doesn't own a boat. But I would be like, oh, it's not working. I'm going to try again in a minute. What makes no sense, <laughs> right? About this entire thing. Yes. So, okay, I realize that Unsolved Mysteries is produced in Hollywood or whatever. I don't know that the makers of the show were out on their boat every weekend like people are in Minnesota. I don't know much about boats myself, but I feel like I know enough about boats that, like, it wasn't sinking. Right. Like, yeah, Lake Superior is like a small ocean. I don't want to be dead in the water in Lake Superior either, but where I really want to be less is on a tiny little raft on Lake Superior. Right. Supposedly, because they couldn't get the boat started immediately, even though they just fixed fixed the engine that was taking in water and maybe, like, I don't know, needed a second... (laughs) That's a very, like, scientific boat term, but... She apparently demanded he blow up the raft, and then... Or she demanded to get off the boat, and she his solution was, to- was that they get in the raft. And he was like, even though it was a two-person raft, there was only room for one. Okay. But right. they had two rafts, but the first one had holes in it, so they had to throw that overboard. <laughs> he literally just tossed it into the water. You won't need that for any purpose. According to Unsolved Mysteries. And so they blew up the second one, and his idea was that Debbie, in her life vest, is going to sit in the raft, and because he's such a strong swimmer, 
which he makes a point of like pointing out like how strong he is in this story about how he didn't commit murder. Okay. (laughs) That he's going to put on a wetsuit and like swim the raft to shore, which is not close. Yeah, I, I don't think they were in the middle of Lake Superior, but they were not near the shoreline. I don't it think it's a big ass lake. I'm not even sure they could see the shoreline. No. So I don't really understand this at all. Like, they also say that they had flares. So just stay in your boat. It, from what I could tell, it was not sinking. It's, yeah. They it, had an engine issue. And just because the engine doesn't start doesn't mean you jump off the boat. No. It was much safer to stay on the boat. He's clearly trying to blame her for panicking. I just have a hard time believing that this this makes any sense. No, that this woman who is one half of a couple that owns a boat, and apparently, I assume, boats a lot. They live in Minnesota. If you have a boat, you're probably out there every weekend. That she would panic because they couldn't start the boat? Just sit in the boat. Someone's going to come along. Like, There's no way you're warmer on this little raft wearing a life vest than you are staying on the dry boat if the boat was going down i can see getting into the life raft but just because it wouldn't start you jump off into this dinghy and you have your Superior? husband like swim and pull you like and, he, and he's like oh i did this before with my kids it would be fine i was like well clearly you were closer like, to shore a or smaller something lake lake superior is like a small ocean there are waves that can capsize ships big yeah. ships sink on lake superior yeah. you're not you don't want to be on a little raft Right. When you this have a perfectly is, good boat that's going to do the same thing, which is just float there. This is a lake you can see from space. Like, this isn't just a pond. No. So, I'm highly suspicious of his story. And I was waiting for someone in the segment, because they interview the prosecutor. Uh, or, I was waiting for someone to be like, uh, this makes no sense. Why would you do this? I think it's because he is trying to paint her as this irrational woman. Oh, yeah. That I understand they had, why his story is that they, that, weird. Yeah, true. That he... That, there's this minor problem, and she completely freaked it, freaked out, and demanded to get off the boat. And so this was the the best worst solution, given given what a loon she is. He was also incredibly. You're right because he kept saying things like, "I I made a mistake. I shouldn't have listened to her. I shouldn't have given into her panic and allowed her to get off the boat." Right. He's blaming her for her death. Yeah. So supposedly what happens is he's swimming out there. Obviously his hands are get cold because the water is freezing. He's not able to like hold on to the raft anymore. So he sees some lights and is like, I'm going to swim that way. You head towards shore. One of us will be able to get help. This is the dumbest plan ever. Except that the lights that he saw are their boat. So he literally just swims, which I swear he knew so he just swims back to their boat which now starts and he is able to go quote look for debbie who he can't find and eventually she washes up shore dead and is found by a teenager here's the other thing guess what you don't do if you're in a little rescue raft float away from the boat that has the light on it how's anyone gonna see you and save you (sighs) Yeah, they thought that they were just going to get to shore, supposedly. Yeah, okay. I don't know. The prosecutor at one point said, this is not an appropriate case for unsolved mysteries. (laughs) (laughs) And Curtis agrees. And the reason that it wasn't appropriate is because he was like, this mystery solved. He did it. (laughs) So there's his mustache. It's a very standard mustache. I just called it the prosecutor. It's no nonsense. 
He, that was a no-nonsense guy. I like that name. He also likes to point out that Larry had recently purchased life insurance in the months before Debbie's death. This can be partially explained away by the fact that it was associated with buying a house and part of a group plan. Okay, maybe, but it does give him some extra incentive. Mm-hmm. He's having an affair. He recently just came into a large amount of life insurance on his spouse. The other questions about this is that, so they threw the second raft that no one remembers him ever having overboard. Why did the Coast Guard never find that raft? The Coast Guard said, was quoted as saying that if it was out there, they would have found it. Yeah. I, that doesn't make sense. No. And then we hear from one guy that was like, oh, he once said he had two rafts, but I didn't remember that at the time. Okay. I don't really know why he would have made that up, but... Yeah, maybe he did throw a raft overboard. I don't really see... It's like, uh, kind of nothing to do with anything. It's not the raft she was on. No. And then the other question was that was it possible for her body to drift that far without a raft? She had a life vest on. Yeah. So I don't see why it wouldn't. Wasn't the raft also punctured? The one that she yeah, was in? so they wait till the end to be like, <laughs> oh, and also it looks like the raft was not just like... You know, got a hole in a rock, but it looks like it was sliced un- from underneath with a knife, both air chambers. Yeah, not just one slice, like two very distinct slices. Are found on the bottom of the raft that she was actually on when she died. Yeah. So, and we, I don't believe we got a satisfactory explanation for that, except that they weren't able to produce the knife that made the slices when they searched his boat. I was like, yeah, it's in the bottom of the lake. That's not really a defense. That's not like, oh, Oh, they were caused by a rock. No, no. it's just, well, there were slices, but... Maybe- she didn't put them there. <laughs> maybe a fish did them. Like Nobody who- else knew she was there. They were the only two on the boat. Someone sliced the raft. I doubt she did it herself. This is not a Christopher Pike novel. There was not <laughs> some other mysterious scuba diver out there just waiting to cur- c- uh, commit raft knife murders. <laughs> There, is a, a stranger cannot come by in this scenario and actually commit the murder. I refuse to believe that. That someone's just out lurking in Lake Superior, knife between their teeth, swimming along, see Debbie on the raft and go, yes, tonight's the night. I've been waiting to slash someone's raft. And now that that stupid husband just swam back to the boat, now is my chance. No. The raft is... Sliced. So she drowns. <laughs> and according to- Only he knew she was there! This mystery. Well, and then I agree! This is not an appropriate case for unsolved mysteries. It's solved! The other thing is, as soon as he- do you mean, Did you say this already? As soon as he got back to the boat, he was suddenly able to yeah, start it. It was fine. And I was like, yeah, I bet that would have been true if you had also just waited five minutes. Or you know how if your computer's not working, you just turn it off and you turn it back on and it's probably fine? That's how I feel about this boat! Did you try turning it off and turning it on again? <laughs> just oh my god! It's just poor, very convenient that Debbie. after he left his wife floating off into Lake Superior to go back to his boat, that it suddenly started again, and there was no way for him to like boat over to her. I'm guessing he told her the boat was sinking. Oh, probably. And that she had to get on the raft. And it sounds like this boat almost did sink like a year before. Yeah, so so she probably believed him. The story was set for that to be believable. And she was like, oh, I gotta get on this little raft. And then she's on the raft. He is in his wetsuit. And he slices the raft. And she's just left to drown, to die of hypothermia, not drown. Is this, if 
true. And he was convicted of this. He was not exonerated. So uh, I I think I can say that if, if true, uh, is this not the gr- most gruesome murder? Like, you let someone just slowly sink on a raft in Lake Superior to, to freeze to death? To freeze terrible. to death? Just so you can try to claim it was an accident. Because she didn't drown, folks. She had a life vest on. No. She might have even known how to swim. She had got hypothermia and died. Because it was so cold. Because Lake Superior is fucking cold all year round. Because he wanted, it was $108,000 of life insurance. Yeah. Chilling. And to be with his, I don't know, person he was having an affair with. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe he was just sick of having a wife. Yeah. Who knows? I cannot tell you how many times I'm watching Friends or Fogs and just going, oh my God, get divorced. Like seriously, you don't you don't really have to come up with an intricate murder. We have a procedure for this. <laughs> it's called divorce. Yes. Just get divorced. Yes, Larry. But then he doesn't get oh more than a hundred thousand dollars life insurance. No, he goes to prison. Yeah, so he was convicted. He spent twenty two years of his life sentence in prison. I believe in still all in Stillwater, and was then released. His kids don't think he did it. Her parents, who have since passed away, they didn't think he did it. So he had those people fooled because I guess he seems like a nice guy. But in my humble opinion, as a person who just watched a segment of Unsolved Mysteries, <laughs> the guy is super guilty because a fish did not do it. I cannot see. <laughs> Curtis agrees. Curtis is like, that man's guilty and I would bite his leg. That's what Curtis just said. His story makes no sense. I don't understand how no one brought up the fact that you wouldn't jump off of a sinking boat. When it, or you wouldn't jump off a boat that wasn't sinking. It's not, yeah, it's not sinking. It uh, just doesn't start immediately. <laughs> it would be way safer to stay on the boat and release some flares until the fucking Coast Guard comes and gets you or someone else sees you. Yeah. The other thing he never says is he never says he thought it was sinking. So I really fail to see how his story makes any kind of logical sense. No, she is, if she hadn't had this fit of panic, they would have both been fine it's all her fault yeah makes which i don't believe for a second Uh, because after all he is very strong (laughs) and he wants you to know that he is strong enough to pull a raft but the water was very cold oh so cold your wife died in it yeah i but i do believe it was very cold yeah Yeah. it's almost as if this was a terrible plan (laughs) yeah I, is there anything else to say about this, really? I don't, know. I don't think so. I googled it, and he, yeah, he got Pearl, but there's really nothing else out there other than, like, maybe one or two Reddit threads speculating about this. I, the things that they, like, quibble about on the show, I don't think prove anything. And then they, like, almost breeze over this knife. <laughs> oh, it was clearly uh, sliced with a knife. It's like, who cares if he has two rafts or not? That almost has nothing to do with anything. No, the raft she was sitting on had two slices <laughs> down both sides. So who cares about the rest of this nonsense? So, who yeah. did it? Who did that? Did she do it herself or did you do it? Because there's only two people on was that boat. Was it a lobster or was it her husband? So. I wonder. <laughs> All right, we have another unexplained death. This oh, that, was a, that, that was a final right. appeal right. because poor, very guilty Larry was in prison. <laughs> And I, for once, I agree with this prosecutor. This is not an appropriate case for unsolved mysteries. It's not a mystery. It's super solved. All right. This is the unexplained death of Jeannie Tovria. Tovrea? Tovrea. I can't pronounce anyone's last name. That is like a staple of the show by now. All right. So Phoenix, Phoenix socialite Jeannie Tovria was originally from a small town in Arkansas. She married in high school, but the marriage fell apart in 1953. 
After she divorced, she moved to Phoenix and became a waitress. During this time, she studied real estate law. In 1970, she obtained her real estate license and was very successful. In 1971, she met Ed Tovria, a member of a prominent Arizona family who had built a who had built a landmark in Phoenix known as the Wedding Cake Castle. Hmm. He was also a veteran of the Second World War. Um, and he had spent time in a prisoner of war camp in Germany. He was best known for his part in the famous Great Escape, uh, which was popularized by the 1963 film of the same name. Apparently, he helped organize this escape in which they, him and a bunch of other POWs tunneled out of this prison Yeah, uh, and escaped. So that was pretty cool. Um, they married... In a private ceremony in Hawaii in 1972, by all accounts, they were very happy. Uh, they had no children together, but uh, Ed did have children from a previous marriage. Um, the only issue was that he had uh, respiratory problems from the time he spent in the war. And later in their life together, he was very ill. Um, he couldn't get out of bed. She spent almost all of her waking hours nursing him back to health. Um, there's this big... I don't know. They talk a lot in the, the this mystery about how she came from like humble beginnings to be like this socialite in this high society and how she was accepted by all the high society people. We're supposed to like marvel at her rags to riches story and also be like, oh, good rich people. I'm so glad. Of course they accepted her because of her many graces. Yeah. How lovely of her to be accepted by the elite. Though I love this society columnist. That guy is awesome. He was quite the character. Yes. You should watch the segment just for him. He was he was very quirky. Um her being like going from being a waitress to being a socialite really is just an anecdote to the story. I'm not sure it actually has anything to do with her death, but anyway, uh, I wanted to mention that. So she uh spent all of her time taking care of him, but unfortunately he died in July 1983. Prior to his death, uh, he had spent much of 1982 in hospice care. And he was worried. So this wasn't in the show, but I found it on Unsolved Mysteries Wiki. Oh. Apparently, he was worried that his children, uh, who didn't apparently didn't like Jeannie and didn't like the fact that he had remarried, were going to try and like fight oh. her for his estate. Um, they really didn't mention that in Unsolved Mysteries. That's the only super weird because they actually like everyone loved her. Well, I think everyone in, like, their social okay. circle loved her. Well, that's kind but of really some, important, Unsolved Mysteries. But for some reason, Unsolved Mysteries danced around this issue of his children really disliking her. Uh-huh. And you can find more information uh-huh. about this if you Google the case. Uh, we'll get to more about that later. But Unsolved Mysteries, the only thing they mentioned was briefly when they showed the reenactment of her taking care of him in bed. Uh, they mentioned that he was, like, concerned about her... How, how she was going to be taken care of after he died, and he wanted his all of his estate to go to her. But they didn't say that he was saying that because he was worried that his biological children were going to like make a claim to the estate. But that was the case. It's his money, children. Sorry. He gets to do with what he wants. Right. Um, after his death, Jeannie received a portion of his estate. She remained in the Phoenix social world and tried to move on with her life. She kind of threw herself into planning parties and socializing. It seemed like that was her way to either move on or to to cope with it. Um, Everyone said they were very, I don't know, they marveled at her ability to kind of like carry on. She was, she was moving on. She, she had a lot of friends. They supported her in this time. Yes. 
On the night of March 31st, 1988, she was preparing invitations for a a party that she was hosting. At 7 p.m., she spoke to her sister, who would be one of the last people to ever hear from her. Because on April 1st, 1988, Jeannie was discovered dead in her home. She was shot in the head five times. Her credit cards were missing and fingerprints on in this, but fingerprints in the scene failed to match to anyone the police had on file. There was, it sort of looked like a robbery. There was things strewn about. But it looked like a fake robbery. Yeah, it sort of, yeah, it looked like it was just a little bit too convenient, things that were tossed about. And her credit cards were never used anywhere. And they just tossed around her, like, cheap costume jewelry and left her, like, good jewelry alone. Right. So, here's my tip, criminals. If you're faking a robbery... Take the good stuff? Yeah, like, actually do the robbery part, maybe? (laughs) Don't just... Criminals, get it together. Yeah, so this led police to believe that the true intent of the breaking and entering was just to kill her. I'm trying to sneak another Kit Kat, but it's too loud. <laughs> I'm don't, glad you let the listeners Don't know. mind me. <laughs> I'm definitely not eating another pumpkin Kit Kat. Do, 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 do. <laughs> so they think that the, the perpetrator broke in, intended to make it look like a robbery, but really was just there to kill her. And didn't even have the good sense to steal her jewelry or use those credit cards. But I suppose that could lead back to them. Mm, That's risky. They did find something suspicious on the answering machine. It was a message from someone named Gordon Phillips. Uh, He became their prime suspect because he had apparently been visiting her from time to time. He came to her house claiming that he was writing a book for some magazine about, uh, oh, Time Life. Uh, He claimed that he was working for Time Life. And he was writing a book about, or an article, I'm not exactly clear on what, about POWs. And then he wanted to talk to her about her ex, her late husband. And she was like, oh, well, if you're working for them, surely you'll have some sort of identification you can show me. And he was like, well, I'm actually a freelancer. And she was like, yeah, I think you need to leave. She even contacted Time Life and they said that they had never heard of him. And then he proceeded to kind of stalk her for a while. He would call her constantly. She told her sister, I believe, that she thought she saw him in like a store or something. So this is someone that the police wanted to speak with, and um, she had also told him she didn't really have anything to say. Right. That she hadn't talked to her late husband that much about his experiences, that he had kind of wanted to move on, and she wasn't the person to talk to. Like, Right. I think she even, in the reenactment at least, directed uh, him to his, to his first wife. He was like, she was like why he was are you married? talking to me? She was like, he was married to someone else at the time, maybe you should talk to, talk to her. Uh but yeah, so like leave me alone. Quit calling me. They were trying to find this Gordon Phillips. Um, here is the result according to Unsolved Mysteries Wiki. A viewer recognized the voice of quote Gordon Phillips as his brother-in-law James Cornell Herod. He contacted others who knew him and played a recording of the message. They agreed that the that the voice they heard that we heard in Unsolved Mysteries was James Cornell Cornell Harold uh, Herod. Uh, One of these friends contacted the police and told them about their suspicion. In 1995, Herod was arrested after fingerprints found at the scene were matched to him. Some were found in the kitchen window, which was the killer's point of entry into the home. Others, including a palm print of his, were found inside the kitchen itself. According to James's ex-wife, he also confessed to being involved in the murder, claiming that he was paid $100,000 to commit the crime. Jeannie's daughter, who had previously met Phillips, identified Herod as him in a live lineup. Uh, in 1997, he was tried and convicted of first-degree murder. He was sentenced to death in 1998 and re-sentenced to death in 2005. However, he has yet 
um, to identify who hired him to kill Jeannie. Mm. In fact, he continued to maintain his innocence. He died in prison on January 28, 2019. Wow. He was 65. It is suspected by many that the person who hired the contact contract hit on Jeannie was Ed's son, uh, who was also named Ed, but he went by the nickname Hap. Tovria Jr. Uh, Ed's children did not get along with Jeannie, and police believe that they may have hired Herod because they received because she received most of his money after his death. Authorities authorities did discover that Herod and Ed Jr. had been in contact with each other through fo- phone conversations for several weeks up until her murder. Oh, that he sounds real guilty. Uh, in in fact, fifty two calls were made between them on the day 52? prior. Yep. Uh, Ed Jr. had also paid Herod $35,000 around that same time. However, neither Ed Jr. nor any of his siblings were ever charged, and he has since passed away. So most people believe that Hap, uh, Ed Jr., was the one who hired this guy. Yeah, I I believe it. uh, Maybe you couldn't prove it in court, but I believe it. Yeah. Why else was he paying this random dude $35,000? He talked to him 52 times in one day, right before she died. The day before she died. The day before he killed her. And he was mad. His fingerprints were at the scene of the crime. So, uh, it seems like it's not uh, super unexplained. Again, this mystery is not unsolved. I think we solved it. What I don't quite understand, again, is why Unsolved Mysteries didn't want to mention the the fact that his sibling, his, his children didn't like her, but... Maybe they were worried about litigation maybe all right we got one more mystery i know that's not enough but that's all you get this is a lost love it is the case of helen rose so helen rose myron was the youngest daughter of seven um and her and her siblings spent oh my god okay so her and her siblings were part of the ojibwe tribe so they would spend winter at a boarding school, and then in the summer, they would be on the reservation with their family. They lived in Canada, right? Yes. So, so this was is- this one of those boarding schools that are getting a lot of press right now for basically uh, trying to erase the native culture in Canada? Don't know, I think this but was happening. I mean, obviously. wouldn't be surprised. So this is in Manitoba, Canada, just over the, the North Dakota border. Okay. And I don't know the name of the boarding school, but it's a government boarding school, so I would assume that, yes, they are probably guilty of that. And we're talking about back in, uh, originally 1932. Okay, yeah. So, that, cause that September, they went, they were preparing to go back to school, even though their mother was very ill. And so, um, uh, Helen Rose basically has to say goodbye to her mother, knowing, and her mother saying, like, oh, I'm probably not gonna be here when you get back. It's, very sad. And then a month later, her dad shows up at the boarding school to tell the children that their mother has passed away. And apparently, Helen Rose never really got over it. What did you think of reenactment dad's mustache? Oh my goodness, I didn't draw it. It was a very prominent, very full mustache. I drew one from your last segment called the sagebrush, but I don't even remember who it was on. I don't remember who had the mustache either. But it was called the sagebrush. Okay, well... (laughs) It was a good mustache. Okay. So then, uh, fast forward a few years to 1941. Helen is now 17 years old, and she's interested in joining the Canadian Armed Forces for World War II because the government was really pushing hard in the boarding school for recruitment purposes. Cool. 
So, well, that worked on Helen Rose, and she really wanted to join the Air Force, wanted to go fight some Nazis. I I don't know. Anyway, that's you know what, what, she, it's what she wanted. It's what she wanted. So, um, because she was only 17 and not 18, she needed to get parental permission to sign up for the Air Force. So, she goes home to her dad and gives him the paper to sign, and he was like, I'm not signing this. I don't want you to die far away where I can't see you. Fighting for a government that forced my children to go into a boarding school to learn English. <laughs> right. And Right. I'm not sure he felt very patriotic about Canada. Why would he? Uh, but also, he didn't want his 17-year-old child taken away to probably die. Can't and really the, blame him. Yeah. So he refused to sign the form. Well, she said, if you don't sign this, I'm never going to speak to you again and walked off. Yeah. 17. That was it. Yeah. She stuck to that. She spent that night at her aunt's house, left the next day, and never saw her family again. Her entire family. So this segment is filmed 50 years later for her family members going, you know what? It's been a long time. (laughs) Maybe we need to put this grudge behind us. Helen Rose, if you're out there, look. Uh, Dad's already died years ago. This was your beef with him. Like, come and see us. We don't really care if you join the Air Force or not. Actually, they said, they're like, they said that, so it wasn't common for, for no, people I think, in their community to join the military. I think and it was her, kind of, uh, she, I, I mean, if you think of it as a good thing, she's a, she's a trailblazer in that way. Well, her brother-in-law said that, looking back on it with the benefit of hindsight, he thinks that people in the community would have been proud of her. And that if he had, if her dad had just signed the paper, then maybe things would have turned out differently. Right. So, I mean, obviously, this is 50 years later. They do have the benefit of hindsight, but time to move on. Right. The, the last time she's seen is two years after she left to join the military. Um, her brother-in-law saw her at a general store near their house. And, I don't know, she was, in the reenactment, at least, she was in uniform, and she seemed to be doing well. And he's like, oh, your father is across the street. Let me go get him. So, she he ran to go get her father. Her father is apparently perfectly willing to come talk to her but by the time they got back helen rose is split she doesn't want anything to do with her father he didn't respect her wishes or her autonomy so she was out um 16 years after that her father passed away having never made peace with her her family at the time of filling this segment had grown to 150 people and they did want to have contact with her and if she was had passed on they wanted to properly honor her um in the traditions of their tribe and the good news is that thanks to a viewer's tip helen rose was found to be living in westchester new york where she had been living since 1986 uh her daughter and granddaughter were put in contact with helen's siblings and they made arrangements for a reunion sadly we don't get to see a reunion on this love's love segment that was disappointing um so i guess her siblings have since you know to present day have passed away but she remained in contact with them until their deaths so it did reunite them i liked that 50 years passed and they were like it's long enough (laughs) we don't need to hold these grudges anymore I was like, that's a really long time. That is it's a, an impressively long time. That is an time. impressively long grudge, but I'm glad they were reunited. I'm glad she hadn't passed away. Yeah. So it's Curtis. Are you happy for Helen Rose made it back from the war? Uh, we don't really know that much more about her. It seems like she didn't really want to be involved with the segment, but it did get her back in touch with her family. Yeah, for the lost love, I really want to see the reunion, but I still like a lost love. 
Yeah, this said, I mean, I, I like to get a little different story. This one's a little this different a, yeah. than we've had before. Yeah, Even though it does involve a war, it's still a little bit of a different story. Uh-huh. Because there's none of that missing in action crap, for once. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's the end, folks. That's it. Light on content, Unsolved oh. Mysteries. The, fir- the first mystery is long. The... Uh-huh. The Lake Superior mystery is We get an unnecessary longer. update that fills yeah. fill some airtime. So. Okay, let's rate it. All right. Uh, mysteriousness. Not very mysterious at all. Not Actually, really. everything's solved. Everything is pretty solved. The only thing I can say about mysteriousness is in the, se- the middle mystery, at the time it aired, it seems like it was pretty mysterious. But right. it's super not mysterious because it was probably just his son. Right. Uh, so, thumbs down? Thumbs down, I Thumb, say. Thumbs down. Reenactments? Who did they hire to do the to be the actors and actresses in Your Last Mystery? Because they were terrible. They were really bad. They I've talked in the most monotone. It had a very, like... No emotion. Community theater, but worse type of feel. Yes. It, yeah. They, they didn't emote very well. Um, at all. Or at all. I I don't know. It, it did sort of... At Even camper the story a little bit. At first, I thought, oh, this is the family members. Because that's often the case. If there's right. bad acting, it's usually, I mean, usually it's uh, because they're using the family members to participate in the reenactments. But they were all pa- passed away. At this, Most of them were all passed away at this point. So I think yeah. it was actors and actresses that just weren't very good. Yeah. Yeah. No. And then the other two... I, I feel I feel bad for the reenactors that had to go in that freezing lake and that little Ooh. raft, but yeah. I can't say it was like well done or no, compelling. Not really. No, I would say thumbs down. Actually, yeah, thumbs down. And did any fashion stand out to you? No, not really. I don't. I don't think so. I'm gonna say thumbs down again. Thumbs down. You know, I didn't hate this episode. We're we're giving it a lot of thumbs downs. Robert Stack, where was he? It wasn't in enough. How much did we even see him? We barely saw him at all. Just a little bit at the beginning, I think. So thumbs down on that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> worst episode ever? I don't know. How do you rate this out of a possible it's, five Robert Stacks? I said this last week, but it's very forgettable. It is kind of forgettable. I didn't hate it. It's I definitely not the worst it. episode we've ever seen, but yeah, I'm it's not going to remember three. it. It's a light three. Yeah, I have to, I have to agree. It's maybe a two and a half even. Yeah, it's just like, not it's almost memorable. barely there. Not memorable. Uh, Curtis has just been pouting the whole time. You know what? I can't blame him. We could really use a, a paranormal segment. Yes. Oh my I'm, god. We need I feel unexplained. Like it's been forever since we did anything like fun. Yeah. Like a paranormal or just something really wacky, like a nudist colony. I listened to. We mentioned that we're going to be on Rob, Rob's podcast, Our Strange Skies. He's doing an Unsolved October, where I think I think once a week he's releasing an episode where he talks about unsolved mysteries. We're on one of them. I listened to his first episode and i have to say it gave me hope that they are still good <laughs> unsolved mysteries episodes oh, good. to come we haven't just done all of them because they mentioned some highlights <laughs> in some of their favorite episodes then that are farther down the line i so, am still looking forward to resurrection mary i don't know when that one comes up but that's a chicago ghost story that i'm looking forward to the el chupacabra one i don't oh, know what season yeah. it's in i don't know what season it's in but i think that's gonna be a really good that's one that's gonna be solid gold Gar- that's the absence you guarantee. <laughs> that is the absence you guarantee. Ah, chupacabra, solid gold. Yeah. We should really do a Patreon episode on some Chupacabra documentary. There is a Chupacabra X-Files episode. Oh. If we can't find a documentary. I was thinking like a Monster Hunters or something. I don't even know if that shows any good, but... I have no idea. No clue. 
I could fall asleep right now and take a nap. Can you tell? <laughs> just, I'm like kind of rocking in the chair and I'm just going to rock forward. We have one more segment on the show. We have to give them a recommendation. Okay. So my first light recommendation, not my real recommendation, is that right now Trader Joe's has these at Honey Crisp Apple Candles. Oh. They smell fucking amazing. They really smell like an apple. Wow. And they're like $4. I've been very disappointed in the Marshalls slash Home Goods candles this year, so I might need to make a trip <laughs> I to Trader know, Joe's. I know Samantha's been on, on the hunt for a decent pumpkin candle and I it's coming up short. can't find any pumpkin they're candle I like. They're all too complicated. They're way too complicated. I, I found pumpkin waffles, pumpkin cupcakes, pumpkin They assumed that lattes. everybody else was doing the regular pumpkin. Just and- want a pumpkin spice candle. Well, I found a really good apple candle. All right, and it's like good, four bucks. Apple's a good second. It comes in a tin. I need to go get know. some of that cranberry wine. There's some so, around here somewhere. That shit is so good. Also, Alexa had these, I forget what they're called, but they're just like spiced pumpkin seeds from Trader Joe's right now. Those were delicious. So good. And you know what? Alexa, also, we had a craft night recently, and she brought these little pumpkin cookie things. They're like, oh. pump, like Oreo style. They have two cookies with the yeah. cream in the middle. Delicious. Also from Trader Joe's. So Trader Joe's, sponsor us, please, <laughs> because we just talked about your products for like a minute and they're delicious. And We've talked about that wine before. So. I know. Why do we do this? I don't know. Okay. So I have another recommendation, which is I recently got a purse. I saw this on Instagram. Yes. So this is by the Instagram user Natty Cat. And she designed what she calls a casual Ida purse. And I might be saying that wrong, but Ida bags are from Japan and they have like clear sleeves to protect your pins, your enamel pins that you've put on your bag. And it's brilliant. I think to, uh, to have like a real one, this would all be like one fandom. Okay. And I would be showing my love of. How obsessed I am. It would with, all be X Files pins or yes. Unsolved Mysteries pins. I would have my whole, all my Unsolved Mysteries pins, my, you know, my collection, and I would show you that I'm a huge Unsolved Mysteries fan. But mine just has a bunch of Halloween things in it. I didn't do it right. That's but what's nice about this, unlike a lot of the bags, is that it's like little and practical, and most of them are like large and have ruffles on them. And okay are, like, you're probably not going to carry them around, like, every day. Like, yeah. maybe when you, like, go to a con or something, but not in your, like, normal life. So this one is just, like, a purse, and one side the window is square, and on the other side the window is a heart, so I had to get it. It's I mean. And the lining of it is pink. It's a black bag, but since it's Halloween, I made little inserts to go in it and felt. I'm showing Samantha. So I just put all my friends in the pins on the felt, and then you just slide it in the little plastic window. That's adorable. And ta-da! Right? And the, all the little hardware is heart-shaped, too. I love black and bubblegum pink. I don't know why. So I saw this, and I was like, oh. And this is a very practical bag. You can... It's, like, kind of just necessities. So I just have, like, wallet, keys, purse. Wallet, keys, purse. Wallet, keys, phone. Yeah. Lip gloss. I don't know. You can't fit a ton in it, but depending on if you use public transportation or not, it kind of affects how much you have to carry with you. Right. For me, usually this is fine. And I feel like it's really well made. And also, I got a different strap for it. So the strap that it comes with is pink and is like branded Natty Cat. Okay. But you could get other straps for $5. 
So I was like, oh, I'll just get plain black one because I don't know. That's really cute. I love the pins you have in it. It's really hard sometimes to find a way to display your enamel pins. Well, you don't want to... My mom, when I was growing up, had a puffy, bleached jean jacket because it was like 1991 that was covered in enamel pins from all these places she went. But the problem was they would fall off all the time. Right. So you can get those little locking backs now. Yep. Which are super handy, but they could also just like get scratched or damaged or whatever. So the nice clear thing. I feel like this is super practical and handy. And I don't know. So the I think the website is Natty Cat Pins. But if you search for Natty Cat, N-A-T-T-Y-C-A-T. Or check out Liz's Instagram. Yeah, I'm sure you'll find it. Oh, sorry, Curtis. <laughs> Curtis just got whacked in the face. Look, I'm showing off an important person. I mean, this is actually kind of a practical thing, which is weird because it's to show off pins. But I like it's crossbody. It. Yeah. It's got pockets. You know. That's adorable. What else do I have to say about it? Not much. It's a good recommendation. There. There you go, everyone. Go get your casual it a bag. She also makes a backpack with a clear window, but it's like an egg. It's like a white backpack. Oh. And then the egg is like the yellow window. And there's one that's an avocado. That's and then the window brilliant. is like the pit. That's brilliant. So you might need that as well. I might need the avocado backpack. I mean, you might. (laughs) You really might. I might. All right. My recommendation is a book that was recommended to me by one of our listeners. Oh. So thank you, Senator. Senator is the one that sent us that lovely note on the macaroon Mm -hmm. macaroon card that we talked about last time. Curtis says hi, too. Yeah. I got this recommendation from them on Instagram for because I often talk about books about medical diseases, things that yeah, because you're real gross. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff I like to read about. So this it's is like a, it's a it's a crisp fall day, chill is in the air. Samantha lights a candle, pulls <laughs> off a cozy blanket, and is like, "Oh, Ebola, tell me more." <laughs> it's pretty accurate. Kind of how I spent my pets morning. Pets her dog, drinks her mulled cider, drinks. Drink, yeah, drinks my cider and reads about Ebola. Those. Oh, this is a book I think Liz might even like. I'm this very is, skeptical so far. So, so, from time to time, listeners will reach out and recommend. Thank you very much for recommend books they think I would like. This one in particular, I was like, that's my shit. It is The Mystery of the Exploding Teeth and Other Curiosities from the History of Medicine. This oh, is actually, by, this is on my to-read list. This is by Thomas Morris. Yeah, I mentioned it at our last book club meeting. I, As soon as I got the recommendation, I looked on Scribd and it was there. So I downloaded it. I listened to the audiobook, which I highly recommend. I'm not sure if Thomas Morris is British, but the narrator for this book has a British accent and is really delightful. Um, the way the book is, is, is laid out is there's very short chapters. Well, first of all, there's sections. So the one I'm reading now is about people who have made up their illnesses throughout history. Like there was a woman that was saying that like bugs were coming out of her mouth or whatever. Um. Oh, no, that's happened to me. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it happens all the time. So there'll be that section. And then there's shorter chapters about each individual case. This book is very well researched. Um, and it includes a lot of word for word accounts from oh. typically what it is, is it's uh, a very old timey doctor who has seen some sort of medical oddity or participated in trying to cure someone's weird ailment and then has written about it in like a medical journal or a newspaper or something. And so the book includes word for word accounts. And I like how the, the audiobook is laid out because there's the main narrator 
who has a very good delivery because the author is very... Uh, I believe there's a foreword at the beginning of the book that says it includes light ridicule when appropriate. <laughs> uh, like the, so does this podcast. I know. That's, we should have that disclaimer yes. at the beginning of every episode. Yes. Like the first, I swear, half of this book is, a, a, like half of it is about about teenage boys sticking their penises in places that they shouldn't be. Right? So that's like... You kind of have to ridicule that. 200 year, years ago, a kid sticks his penis in a candlestick. No one's above ridiculing that. So the <laughs> the narrator has a very dry sense of humor that works really well with like the the just the way that the author writes. And then there's a different narrator who's also really good that does the um, reading of the quotes. Oh, okay. And he also has like a really dry delivery that's just lends itself very well to the way I this book is written. I was skeptical, but actually, I already wanted to read this book, and you're making it sound even better. I. I've been listening to it on my commute. This has been my commute book this the last couple of weeks. And I laugh like every time I, I fire this book up. It's hilarious. It's very fascinating. It's not that gross. I think there was only a couple. I mean, I, I can skip it. Look, it's a high bar for me because <laughs> I'm not easily grossed out. But I didn't think it was it was typical. It was really that gross. So highly recommend. I'm almost done with the book. Uh, really enjoying it. I've been listening to our book club book. Oh, yes. Haunting of Hill House. We're reading The Haunting of Hill House for our October book club meeting this month, and I'm looking forward to it. Never read it before. Are you like me? Me neither. I am enjoying it so far. I've seen the movie with Vincent Price. Okay. um, But it's, (laughs) guess what? The book's a little different. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. I mean, I like the movie with Vincent Price. I was just kind of having a hard time imagining it as like a serious book. Yeah. Because it's so Vincent Pricey. Sure. But. No, I'm actually really enjoying it. I'll update on that later. I only have a few chapters left in this book, and then I want to find some more spooky reads for the month of October. It's kind of the mood I've been in. So if anybody has spooky read recommendations for Samantha... Send them my way. You can also follow me on Goodreads. A few of our listeners have done that, and I appreciate getting recommendations on there as well. This would be a great time to go to the Bakken Museum, which is something I recommended once, which is the Electricity Museum in... Minneapolis, but it has a whole section about Mary Shelley. Yeah. So that would be kind of cool right about now. Fun spooky outing. In case anybody was looking for something to do. Okay. I think that wraps it up. Let's plug our shit. All right. We've got an Instagram. We got a Twitter. We got a Facebook group. Perhaps it's you. On all those platforms, that's where you can find us. Um,. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes Apple Podcast. Yes, and thank you to the person that gave us a five-star review because we said jag off. I really appreciate it. I feel like my work here is done. <laughs> also, if you have a spooky tale of your own, if something paranormal has happened to you, dear listener, write in. Let us know. Perhaps do podcast at gmail.com. We are collecting those stories for the end of the season. Did you have a threesome with Robert Stack? I mean, that doesn't necessarily spooky, but we do want to hear about it. We also want to hear about it. If it happened, no fanfic. (laughs) Please don't send us your Robert Stack fanfic. No. No. There is, I'm sure, a place on the internet for that. Go post it there. (laughs) Um, Anything else. A few extra dollars, you can send them our way. Perhaps it's you, uh, or patreon.com slash perhaps it's you. You will get a bonus episode every month. You'll get a postcard. There's a Lenny Briscoe fan club. You can send him some money because he is probably going to have quite the vet bill after his, yeah, actually, his butt issues. Please, please join the Lenny Briscoe <laughs> fan club. He's racking up some bills today. Uh, yeah, that's 
patreon.com slash perhaps it's you. And that might be everything. I think we're done. I we think so. are going to watch the movie Casper. Yes. And eat some baked potatoes. Can't wait. It's that kind of day. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Bye, everyone. Solve bye. mysteries. Bye, 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 bye. bye.